Good morning, Jackson, Mississippi, and all surrounding areas. You've tuned in to the Free Range Human Show of Choice, your daily dose of reality radio. It starts now. This is the Clay Edwards Show. I'm, of course, yes, Clay Edwards. Another day. I made it. Alive. Driving from Cross Gates or downtown Brandon to Flora through Jackson. I made it. Uh, no street lights or anything. We are live in the Mac Hike of Flowood Studios. Check out Mac Hike. CDJRF.com for all of your Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram shopping needs. They also have a plethora of used vehicles. And there's my word of the day, plethora. <laughs> uh, tell Corey McDonald and the team out there that you heard it on WYAB. Uh, real quick, before we get started, I need to apologize for uh, yesterday's show. I, um, for the first time in a long time, about an hour and a half into that show, I just hit a brick wall. I ran out of things to talk about, and I, I don't know if it's a side effect of talking about the same thing every day, Jackson, chaos, and corruption, and crime, and everything else. I, I don't know if it's that I'm just I'm losing interest in fighting for a bunch of people who don't want to be fought for, fighting for a bunch of people who are perfectly content with record-breaking homicides, corruption, crime lack of infrastructure, water, policing, and everything else. People who are just perfectly fine living in a third world country. But it's that 7% or so that don't want that, that want better. It's why I get up and come do this radio show every day. But it's also why I've taken an hour or so over the week, sometimes two hours like today, and I've carved another path. I need such. Sometimes I have to detox from talking about Jackson. And uh, I, I reached my wall yesterday with it. So today we're not going to talk about Jackson. We'll maybe talk about some things that go on inside Jackson. But today I've got a guest here. Uh, we're going to do a full two hours of Testimonial Tuesdays with Drew Hassan. Drew is the host of the Recovery Lab podcast based out of Jackson here. Drew has uh, been an addict in the past, is in recovery. And man, we got to talking on the phone last week. For what I thought, maybe, all right, great, we'll just get him in. We'll do our one hour. We talked all the way from my ride from Flora to Brandon, and I really didn't want to put the phone down. I said, you got to come do both hours. It's just uh, we've got too much to say, too much to talk about. I think we can have a really good conversation. So I've listened to Drew's podcast on my way last night, and on the way in, I listened to an episode with Zed Thompson. That's it. Is that his name, Zed Thompson? Really enjoyed that, and I guess Zed is in the – the the, the uh, psych, psychological side of it. He's an LPC. He works at um, Lighthouse Healing Center. Yeah, well, I, I really enjoyed that. I'm not all the way through with it yet, but y'all really hit on some things that had me want. To, I was wanting to interject myself into the conversation, listening to it on the way in, and I think that's the signs of a great a great interview when the person listening wants to wants to talk into it, and uh, and you got into the codependency stuff. I thought that was fascinating. The codependency stuff. And here's a question I like to ask everybody. This is You're only the fourth person I've interviewed since I've started doing the testimonial Tuesdays. I've interviewed plenty of people over the years on this subject, but I said, let's make it more organized and put out something every week for people to digest. Um, and a question I have, and this is a personal question, is what what is addiction? Can, can I have been a former um, speed addict, uh, whether methamphetamines, cocaine, Adderall, Adderall, and it can, can I, that, that was my, 
that was my vice. That was my drug. Can I quit doing that and still drink but consider myself in recovery? You want my personal opinion? Yeah, I, just, I, I like what people have personal opinion. Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. The, it's an all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Like, who's that crazy girl, Demi Lovato? Mm-hmm. So she rolls around and get you know, somebody interviewed her because she OD'd and nearly died. And then she comes out and says, oh, quote, unquote, I'm California That's where sober. I was at when I pulled in the parking lot. Okay. Uh, and that's a recipe for disaster for a host of reasons. One, cross addiction is a real thing. I can be addicted to opiates, and this is pulling from a part of my own personal life. Uh, for the majority of my life, I had a problem with opiates. And then I did meth, and I was like, this is where it's at. And, uh, it, and you've mixed the two. It's a real party. Well, yeah. Uh, we can get to that later. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about that on the way here. Uh, but no, cross addiction is real, and you, uh, the the person who has an addictive mind or an addictive personality, is going to seek out those things that make them feel different, better, whatever uh, avoidance tendencies. They have a thing that they don't want to feel, or they have a thing they don't want to deal with. And if you don't think that you can become addicted to something else because you've never been addicted to it. You're crazy, and you're going to end up dying. So trading one addiction for another is Absolutely. still addiction. Absolutely. Got it. Got it. I, again, I just like to ask people's opinions on this because I'm very upfront and honest about it. I still drink beer um, a couple, two or three a night. Sometimes go a week without drinking, then may go a week where I drink two or three beers a night. And it's a, it's a struggle that I fight. So when people ask me, they're well, like, are you in recovery? I'm like, well, to me, I've recovered from what was holding me up from being a functioning human being. But I still enjoy a cold beer. I can tell you that I could go home tonight and pick up a bottle of good Pinot Noir and some really sharp cheddar cheese, and I would love having both of those things sitting on the couch. Well, you can't watch a football game tonight. but uh, And it would not cause me a single problem. However, I have lit the fuse, and that fuse might be a week long. That fuse might be six months long. It might be a year long, but I'm going to end up in a shady hotel somewhere shooting up. Yeah. It's it, it's interesting that you know your triggers. So I heard you talking about triggers. And uh, when you had come back from Hattiesburg. Yes, yes, yes. You came back from Hattiesburg and you talked about, you know, getting back into Jackson, just passing by the old seedy hotels and it almost being like a trigger. I had a guest on last week, Nikki Patchen. And she was talking about she can't listen to old music like we she used to listen to like the old hip hop rock stuff like that. She only listens to like K Love and Christian music and this, that and the other because she doesn't want a trigger of the old music. And that for the way she said it at that moment in time, it made all the sense in the world to me for the first time about music being a trigger. Or just old things that you used to do stuff to. If if it for me I owned nightclubs for a long time, so the music thing really hit. I would hear a song if you're on a nightclub long enough and you had a drug habit, about every song that ever got played, you were probably high to it or, or drunk at some point. So it takes you back and you say, oh, man, I remember that time we were messed up. We were doing this. It's like a time machine. It is. And and you only remember the good in those type of situations. You don't remember the next morning, three mornings later, just the, the hell you felt, the guilt, the bad decisions that got you through that two or three days, the seedy hotels, Whatever it is. And, and, and 
I made it a point. Now, I don't listen to nearly as much music as I used to, so I think I don't have that problem anymore. I listen to podcasts or talk radio here. I listen to uh, our, our all of our local hosts pretty much all day. Or I'm busy at work and can't listen at all. But like the other night, for instance, and I'm just, I, I, again, I try to bear all and be as honest as possible because I want people out there that may be going through something to know they're not the only person going through it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That's why I bear my soul on here. You and know, that's for, what for I want out of reco- Recovery Lab. I, and that's what I love about it. And that's why I think we clicked so so quickly is, uh, like, for me, I may do, I may be doing great emotionally or, or whatever. And I may come home on a Saturday night since I don't have to necessarily wake up early on Sunday morning. I was like, all right, I'm going to get a six-pack, 12-pack, or whatever my go-to beer. Sometimes I get a cheap boat beer like Bud Light, and sometimes I go get a good uh, craft beer. And I'm going to turn on some sad country music or whatever, some old-school country music, some 90s country or some 70s country. And I'm going to sit there and just go down memory lane at my at my desk with a cold beer until I, I've had enough to, to pass out. And I, I feel like that's probably some type of emotional escapism. Escapism, yeah. You know, it's it's no news. There's no negativity coming in from the outside world. It's just me, you know, in my feelings, I guess. All in there. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I feel like sometimes it feels healthy because it feels like a release. But then there's times where it feels very guilty. Well, like with everything else, I mean, there is a point beyond which things become unhealthy. Yeah. If it is, uh, in your mind, a healthy escape and it helps you deal with it provides for you an outlet to decompress. That's fine. I mean, when it turns into, uh, you know, I'm late for work cause, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't do, you know, I forgot to pay my power bill this month cause I was, you know, rocking out to Banged sad up. country yeah. Yeah. 30 deep in the natty light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so I guess I say all that because, I want to paint the picture for people to understand why I'm doing this and, and why we're, we're, we're having hosts, uh, guests like Drew is I want you to understand that it's, things are different for everybody. If you're out there, you're struggling and you don't know if what you're struggling with is possibly addiction. You know, I, I hope the guests like Drew help paint that picture for you a little better. And if you need help, get help. Um, I want to give a shout-out real quick to Danny Anderson. I had not heard from Danny in five, six, seven years, since 2015 or so. He saw that you were going to be on the show, and he sent me a message. And he said, thank you for normalizing recovery. Danny's my boy. I've got some stories about Danny. And I love him. I'm proud of him. He, I guess I had not heard those two words put together like that, normalize recovery. And I had some other people reach out yesterday with kind of the same sentiment uh, thanking me for giving people the platform to tell their stories and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is, this, I call it the re-education of Clay which it, it, it is. It, this is because I, I do this because I have a family member that's battling addiction. And I want to better understand what they're going through. I want to understand it better for myself. But I do, I want people to know that they have a platform to come on and talk. Because I, I think that people can hear this and they can say, hey, I got I got a family member going through that or, hey, I'm on the front end of maybe going through this here in some of these patterns. Maybe I can stop this destructive behavior now. Well, my initial uh, motivation for starting the podcast was thinking I'll interview my homies and it'll be cool. And I'll post it on like local Facebook recovery Mm -hmm. groups and people will get to listen to their friends. And then it just kind of grew. And then I thought, you know, I have made 
a million horrible mistakes in life. I've had consequences that I promise you I didn't want. And if I could use the fact that I talk a lot and help people avoid even one of the one person avoid one mistake I've made, it would be worth it. Uh, you know, I have a philosophical belief that you can't really recover until you can uh, develop a philosophy that you, uh, turns your shenanigans into something profitable, uh, which, you know, if anybody is familiar with the 12 steps, I mean, that's one of the mandates of step 12, you know, is to go out and give to others what was so freely given to you. No, no, I like it. Like I tell you what, let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I kind of want to start at the beginning of your story. Okay. And uh, we kind of bounced around there. I wanted to build a little, pla- uh, build, build a foundation for this today. And when we come back, I kind of want to start at, you know, the beginning. Like, where did the addiction start? Where was rock bottom? And how did you come into recovery? Got it. All right. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We're live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Studios right here on 103.9 WYAB. And my host today is Drew Hassan with recovery lab is it the recovery lab or recovery lab just recovery lab with recovery lab podcast and you can find that on youtube yeah it's on youtube and uh on facebook and on facebook i'll get it shared to the save jackson facebook page so everybody can uh, find it a little easier and we'll be right back after this break breaking rules when necessary welcome back in to the clay edwards show this segment is going to be brought to you by my friend and yours, Keith's Lock and Key. They've been family-owned and operated, serving central Mississippi, going all the way back to, you know it, since the Ronald Reagan presidency. Uh, with a combined experience of nearly 50 years, Keith's Lock and Key is here for all of your commercial and residential locksmithing needs. Look, man, my buddy Brad Grammer uh, took over the business for his father, Keith, when he passed away. He's carrying on the tradition they're mobile. They're statewide. Uh, just give them a call today. They don't do all the fancy internet stuff. You may not find them on Facebook. You may not find them on Google. But what you can do is you can lock their number in your phone. And that's really when you need a locksmith. Nobody ever plans on needing a locksmith, do they, Drew? They don't. Uh, text lock this number in your phone right now, 601-278-1459, 601-278-1459. And I co-sign on Keith's Lock and Key, I go all the way back to ninth grade at Byram High School when it was, before it was a Walmart with uh, Brad. He is good, God-fearing people, and you w- he will take care of you. All right. I tell you what, so when you get to talking, having a good conversation, people want to inject themselves into it, and I love that. That tells me we're doing a good job. We have got a caller on the Mack Hike of Flowood phone line. I'm sorry, on the Dustin Bailey at Southern Magnolia's Realty phone line we just some switching and swapping this week with some of our sponsors <laughs> hey is it mike hey man what's going on play good brother how are you doing this morning i'm all right um look i'll make i'll try to make it short and short as possible because this is part of my testimony but uh uh me and my wife had decided to go to church we would have already been going to church every sunday we'd come home kids would go in the house we'd sit in the driveway roll a joint smoke it I know this isn't hard drugs like Coke and all that stuff, but uh, uh, we'd smoke weed all our lives. and uh, Unwind. And, yeah, and it got to a point when we, we finally found a church that we agreed on. Uh, the first night there, uh, we come home, and we were sitting in the driveway rolling a joint, 
getting ready to smoke it. And I'd been praying, and the Lord put it on my heart to stop. And um, it's not that simple, but uh, I looked at my wife. I said, I'm ready to quit. She said, are you sure? And I said, I'm sure. She said, get rid of it. So I got rid of it. I dumped it out, poured gas on it, burned it up, threw my pipes out in the woods, all that good stuff, and didn't think nothing else about it. And uh, I'm going to tell you, this took a lot of prayer, too, uh, ahead of that. Uh, But a month later, and this is for folks out there that's trying, um, the devil come in and tempted me. I found a bag of weed in my shop that I would have never lost. it's what we called kind bud. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I smelled it. I used to love the smell of it and everything. And I was like, yeah. And then I thought about it. You know, and I was like, devil, you're not going to get me this easy. And as bad as I wanted it, I dumped it out. I poured gas on it. I burned it up. Got rid of everything. And when I tell you I found a bag of weed, I found a bag of weed. Hey, can I ask I you a question? It in. When you a cigarette lighter, rolling papers, everything was in that bag that I needed. When you when you defeated that bag and you burned it and destroyed it, did that did that feel like you had just been released? Like it did. It it felt like I want to tell you it's funny. It felt like I was creating myself my own ritual. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But. Uh, I will tell you that second time when the devil tempted me with it and I got rid of it from that point forward. Um, and I know this was a God thing. Um, if I even smell it, I get sick at my stomach, but the cool thing about it was all the friends that I thought I had, I realized those friends stopped coming around when I quit. And it told me that the only reason they were around is because I was getting them high. And, uh, you know, that being what it was, uh, I was in a situation where we were having trouble paying bills. We were having trouble with this. We had collection agencies after us. I was getting served papers to get sued because I wasn't paying my bills. I was paying my weed man. And, um, from that point moving forward, um, it's I'm like a lot of guys. I don't go to church every single Sunday. I don't go to church every single Wednesday. I'd like to, but the devil always finds a reason to keep you away from that. But uh, uh, he, if if guys will just pray and ask for help, if you want help. You know, if you don't want help, you're not going to get help. And uh, But if you ever do make that first step and hang on to it, it will help, man. And it'll make you a lot stronger as a person. And Well, I hope just, that's what we're doing here. I hope we're letting people know, especially, you know, maybe maybe my voice or Drew's voice. You know, talking to people like, man, like like the guy told me yesterday, he said, thank you for helping normalize recovery. It is okay to seek for and ask for yeah. help. You Look, know, man, when I went to church, I was like, man, I'm up in church. I'm, I'm a pothead, you know. And it took me a long time to realize, you know, kind of like you don't go to a hospital to keep from getting sick. You go to the hospital when you're sick. Yep. Well, the church is a hospital. And... Um, people need to understand that when they go to church, 
find somebody that's in the same situation you are. Don't try to get help from somebody that's not in that situation or never been in that situation because they can't help you. Um, you know, Pastor Terry, he's been there. Yep. And um, that's what makes him such a good pastor. Well, you know, I love his analogy about about church being more like a gym. He talks about yeah. people talking about all oh, them fake Christians. Go church is just a bunch of fake Christians. He's like, well, uh, when when you go to the gym and you see a bunch of overweight people, are are, are they fake healthy or are they trying to make themselves better? And, Look, and, analogy, and that's what people do at church. They're going there to try to make themselves better. Yeah, and I got this from another pastor. Uh, is a lot of people always say, "I ain't going to church." It's a lot of hypocrites. Well, you still go to Walmart. Walmart's full of them. Yep. I mean, it's uh, you can, that's not a good analogy to use. I mean, that you're not going to go to church because of hypocrites. And I've always been taught you don't go to church for people. You go to church to meet with God. Yep. And uh, it just, all this is coming from, I got a sister that's been missing for 20 years. She got hooked on heroin. She was the only person in our family that went to college. She had a good life. She had a good husband, and just like that, gone. Uh, another sister spent her whole life in prison. Uh, I mean, it just, you know, this is a chain that we need to break to be broken on our lives. And me and my wife spent many a nights on our knees praying for these chains to be broken. And to anybody out there that needs to hear it, man, they turn to God. God is the only way. Yep. And I'm not trying to get on here and preach, but when it all boils down to it, he's the only one. I mean, he's the only one that can really, really, really help. Yep. And anyway, I just wanted to feed that to you a little bit. And, uh, no, Mike, I appreciate it. But, I mean, everybody needs to hear it. Everybody's story's different, and everybody's going through something different, you know, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's it's sex, it's codependency. There's so many different yeah. things that that's why I love to celebrate recovery stuff. Look, I'm gonna let you go and finish this up, but thank you, Mike. Yeah, man. Uh, I heard y'all talking about the codependency stuff on that podcast, and, and and that that is an addiction in and of itself, just being codependent on other human beings. Look, I thought it was fascinating that he has an IOP program for tell people what that is. Uh, intensive outpatient. Okay. Usually, you go. Uh, Two or three nights a week, you have uh, group therapy a couple nights a week, and then throughout the week you will have mandatory uh, one-on-one sessions with your counselor. I mean, I'm sure that the syllabus for each IOP program might be a little bit different, but that's the general framework. And then in the off days, you're required probably to go to 12-step meetings. So... Uh, Zed, who is on my podcast, has a has an IOP program that treats PTSD, and then I don't know if it's in the same system, but he also has one that treats codependency. I mean, I don't know that he necessarily does those two things together at the same time, but I guess he could. And I thought that's really interesting. Yeah, I, the the codependency, and they would he's yeah, there's. Not sure if there's a codependency group available around here yet. I mean, I'm sure there's one out there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was with Zed, but somebody was talking about that. Oh, it was with uh, Carver Brown, who's a local therapist around here. He said there's something like 300 plus 
12-step groups. And I asked him what was the craziest one, and he said, I, I swear there's one about uh, abducted by alien, contacted anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, I know some people who should very well, they're in denial if uh, if they're not in that group. or that, that It should be a good excuse for them anyway. Yeah. All right, look, when we come back from this break, I do want to get into your story, but uh, I never want to cut a phone call short when somebody's spreading a good message like Mike was there. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into hearing Drew's testimony here on the Clay Edwards Show. We'll be right back live in the Mack Hike of Flowwood Studios on 103.9 WYAB. Breaking rules when necessary. Welcome back into the Clay Edwards Show. We're live here in the Mack Hike of Flowwood Studios. I want to thank Mike for calling in on the Dustin Bailey at Southern Magnolia's Realty phone line there and giving his testimony this morning. Because that was a question that I, I have for for our friend Drew this morning, too, was about uh, the medical marijuana and prescription meds and all of that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, I know you guys are calling in and want to chat this morning. We're going to hold off on calls to the second hour. Uh, so, Derek, give us a call back at the uh, second hour. This segment is going to be brought to you by Guns and Gear. Get out and see Hunter and the team right there on Highway 51 in Gluckstadt. Right next to Little Willie's Barbecue, that's Guns and Gear. You can shop them 365, 24-7 at GunsandGearMS.com. They're the home of No Limit Ammo. they got a bunch of them big, scary AR-15s available. And they also do gunsmithing and Cerakoting. So check them out online. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best follows on Facebook because they have to tap dance around Facebook's gun rules. So they post a recipe of the day. And it's got a picture of a gun and a recipe for food. It's quite interesting what they do to, to get around uh, community standard violations. Yeah. Facebook jail. <laughs> anyway, check them out at gunsandgearms.com or just go in the store, Guns and Gear. Get, uh, go break bread with folks that, that uh, support you. They support us. We support them. That's Guns and Gear. And, of course, our Guns and Gear text line, if you want to communicate this morning, that may be the best way to go. 769-241-1944. And, uh, Drew, we've actually gotten a few texts this morning. People are saying very uh, inspiring show. So, All right. You know, it's always a always a good way to get things going. All right, so let's start kind of at the beginning for you, man. When – how did you – let's see here. How did you get into the drug stuff or, or, or whatnot? I mean, there's like the, the path to addiction is something I've, I've done some research on. And it's like step one is initiation, step two, experience – Three is regular usage. Four is uh, risky usage. Five, dependence. Six, addition, addiction. Seven, crisis treatment. Well, the, I, I've, I've heard this said before, how most addiction starts with pleasure seeking and ends with pain avoidance. And that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. I had a, a fantastic childhood. Both of my, my parents were married until my father died. They came home when they were supposed to come home. They did not drink to excess or do drugs. No abuse. You know, it was a lot like Leave It to Beaver and Mayberry for me growing up in Yazoo City. Uh, I smoked some weed in high school, took some pills here or there. Um, and it it didn't really become a problem like it would later on in life for a long time. And then I... You know, I kind of limped through life and 
I had insurance and I was blowing up the doctors and I got good pain medicine and I do have some legit back problems and I was, you know, maxing out what I could get, uh, have ADD, I got Adderall and, you know, all that. A little Molotov cocktail of Adderall and, and yeah. more sets. Look, I remember that I, I was off of all stimulants for a long, long time. And then when I was in law school, I got a prescription for Adderall. And I remember where I was the first morning when it kicked in. And I thought, this is the this is where it's at. It just opened up a whole new world. Yeah. I mean, I thought I can see the matrix. I understand on levels heretofore. Uh, you know, unrealized by most law it's students. Like a, like a genius pill. Yeah. So, uh, you know, eventually the Adderall kind of turned on me, as do most stimulants. They will, they'll cause you to kind of go crazy. Uh, and then, you know, I, you know, would abuse this, that, or the other. And then I got a divorce and did not deal with that in any kind of healthy way. And I ended up hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. And this guy shows up and he's like, man, I've got some meth. And I was like, you know, I've done Coke a handful of times. You know, let's try this. And he, not the same thing. They're not the same thing. So he, you know, puts it out on the table and I do, I snort a couple lines of it. And I thought, yeah, I don't know what the big deal is. You know, I wait five minutes. I'm like, I, I just don't get it. And then five minutes after that, I knew I had made the worst mistake of my whole life because I loved it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's addictive for a reason. It feels good. And I went from never having seen meth to uh, injecting it a couple months later. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are well-to-do people in Madison that drive fancy Tahoes that do meth, but they weren't the people I was doing it with. You know, you go to where the meth is, you buy the meth from the people that, that sell it. And, you know, they're not well, looking out. People. Yeah. I mean, they're not out for your for your benefit. No, it was the same thing. I I remember sitting in my old house out at Wendell Road and we were, you know, for whatever reason, the 12 people in there, however many it was, always like to find the smallest room in the house. To, to, to do the drugs and i just got to looking around one day and I, I this was kind of the beginning of the end for me i got to looking around i was like i would not be in this room with a single one of these human beings the corrupt community yeah if it was not for the drugs i said not not to be not to go all i'm better than but i'm better than this I, i'm not doing this and that was kind of the within about 30 days i i found oh, look, how many times was i holed up in some yeah. trap house thinking this is an absolute tangible reflection of your horrible life choices. And I always wondered, did the people in there that were further into their situation than I am, did they ever feel the same way? You know, like I, like the, a lot of the, the, the really the trap house leaders, the people that have been with regulars, they they always seem like they were worse than what I was. So I, so I wondered if that's just how we as addicts look at other people that are doing it too. It's like, well, as long as I'm not as bad as them, like there's a floor or do they look at me and say, as long as I'm not as bad as him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you always want to find that one person that's way worse than you so that you, by comparison, are better. You yeah. Know, some way to spackle over your misery. <laughs> I like that. All right, so you got into the meth. Within, within a couple of months, you were shooting up. Shooting up. And then, you know, once you begin IV drug use, uh, which is, I mean, it is attractive and appealing because it is the mode of administration that gets you the highest, the fastest. And, you know, once you do that, I mean, most meth people 
stick with meth people and they do meth things. You know, yeah. they make lists, and, they make and, and, lists, and they take things apart. And yeah. you know, they have Dewalt drills and map gas, and they're just kind of tinkering around and looking for the not cleaning anything. Not yeah, no, I mean. Looking for the spy material that the DEA's got for you. Like, look, nobody cares what you're doing. They're not devoting those resources to you, but to you, you know they are. Oh, yeah. You know oh, yeah. them. So eventually I end up uh, getting turned on to Delauded, which is a – you don't hear as much about it in the news, but it is an, a pretty high-powered opiate, and it is uh, easily injectable without a lot of fanfare, yeah. no filtering, none of that. I've and, seen it destroy as many lives as – as meth, if not more. I mean, I, I know a girl that I used to date back in my nightclub days who got to banging Delauden, and I mean, she she went from being a pretty decent girl to living up and down the Highway 80 hotels, and it happened quick. Yeah, it doesn't take long. It absolutely doesn't take long. Uh, and then you can, you know, you can mix and inject at the same time meth and Delauded in a a speedball. Yeah, I mean you'll you'll think you touch God's face and yeah. it it feels real good and it's real problematic for drug addicts. Yeah, it's a, just a Molotov cocktail. I hate to keep using that word, but I mean that's what it is. You know, it's like how explosive can I make this thing? And that's Oh, look, and, and I was that's in a, where you get the madness of what happens once you begin using drugs like that. Like everything that you know that keeps you from making bad decisions during the day, that filter's gone. I was in a car wreck one time. I ran into a parked car in the middle of the night and I fled in this wrecked car. And I think to myself, you might really be hurt, you know, and I was as high as could be. And I end up at St. Dominic. How I didn't get a DUI is just God's grace, I guess. And I snuck out of the ER, the port that they had put in my arm because I thought, I'm not going to have to have the, you know, attempting to shoot up is a hassle, especially if you're dehydrated. If you've been real high for a long time, it's hard to find a vein that kind of, and I snuck the port out. Like I put a coat over my arm and the nurse came in and said, well, I'm ready to help you, you know, get ready. And I was like, Oh, the other nurse just already, already did that. And so I was using that port to inject drugs. And then I eventually thought after a couple of days, this is, this can't be hygienic. No. You know, even though I was Just I was being pretty careful. You know, I had alcohol prep pads and all that. And I thought, so I took the port out, and then I got uh, a blood clot in my arm and ended up having to go to the, I mean, I thought my arm was going to, it was, it was hyper painful. And I thought, you've, this is yet another tangible reflection of your horrible life choices. And, you know, I persisted in my folly for a couple of years after that. You know, um, let me go back to the beginning real quick. The the Adderall, and I, I, I'm going to bring this home for parents listening right now. We got a lot of people with the kids in the cars that listen on the way to school. And <clears throat> parents, if your child is on Adderall, I'm not saying run and get them off Adderall. That, hear me out here. I'm saying watch it, <laughs> watch it, watch it. More people that ended up on meth in the circle I ran in started with prescriptions to Adderall that they worked their way to meth. Well, look, if if Adderall is a Honda Accord, meth is a a Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've always kind of described those things. But, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell somebody they can or can't take it. I'm just saying be aware that it's dangerous. Well, there's no tweener drug between Adderall and meth. It's 
because I've watched it happen so many times, somebody who's addicted to Adderall, well, I'm out, and then somebody else say, well, I mean, look, I know this probably ain't your thing, but I got this meth. It's not as bad as people say it is. If you want to just try this and, hey, you know, I'll never tell nobody. And next thing you know, three months later, they're, they're, they're well, got yeah, a needle it, hanging out their arm on, on Highway 80. And your receptors are already kind of primed for that. Yeah. You know, they're, they like that kind well, of thing. Because you start coming down from the crash of not having Adderall, you feel like crap. You're like, well, will this make me feel better? And so the guy, the, the bad influence is going to be like, yes, oh, yeah, it's going to make you feel great. Look, the bottom line is you cannot be prescribed enough Adderall for what you're going to do with it. No, exactly. Like you are going to run out. Yeah, all right, look, let's take our last break of the first hour here. This is the Clay Edwards Show. Joined in studio by Drew Hassan uh, with the Recovery Lab podcast. We're talking about addiction, recovery, and getting Drew's testimonial here. We'll be right back on 103.9 WYAB. Clay Edwards show. I'm joined here by Drew Hassan with the Recovery Lab podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save the advertising stuff for the next segment here. I don't want to waste any time uh, with Drew. Drew, I got a call during the break and just made an amazing point on the <clears throat> on the um, Dustin Bailey at Southern Magnolia's Realty phone line. And he said, Clay, how many people do you think have their kids on an Adderall prescription so they can take it? It'd be an alarmingly high number. I mean, once, uh, you know, just like with regular run-of-the-mill drug addicts, when you find a doctor that's willing to prescribe whatever because little Johnny, quote-unquote, can't sit still or little Susie's having a hard time, I mean, they tell all their friends. I mean, the the prevalence of Adderall abuse is significant. Oh, There's a shortage right now, or there was a few months ago, there was a shortage on Adderall. Is there really? Yeah. I mean, I've heard some people talking about it, and I was like, "Well, that's a good thing." That is a good thing. I mean, they're, they're giving. There's no reason for somebody to be getting a, uh, to be prescribed uh, four thirty milligram Adderall a day. That's a lot. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, you see it, and, and they make them to break in quarters anyway. Well, yeah. they have the time release, and they yeah. have the yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a medical professional by no means, but I just I just know. The path of destruction I've seen a lot of people take, and it, it all starts on that same street. Well, you know, doctors are, are are engineered in a way to be taken advantage of, because as a medical doctor, I mean, part of your thing is the belief that pharmaceuticals can benefit. And I'm certainly not saying they're not. If I cut my hand, I'm going to take an antibiotic. Yeah. If I, you know, I, I'm not anti-medication. Uh, I am anti-abuse potential in. Well, when when you're prescribing people stuff without a safety net, without an eject an eject seat, like painkillers, and they've gotten a lot better about that, but all that's done is create a black market for look. This the is a, th- this could be the topic for a podcast that's a thousand hours long yeah. about you know should we decriminalize? Well, the the war on drugs has been a failure of sorts. Uh, and we'll get to all that. Let's take this break here because we've got about 10 seconds left, and this is way too deep to dive into. Okay. We'll be back live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Studios. This is the Clay Edwards Show with Drew Hassan. The free-range human show of choice, the daily dose of reality radio. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We're broadcasting live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Studios. And this segment is going to be brought to you by A1 Gear and Auto. That's right, man. Go see my buddy Justin and his team right down there on Highway 49 South in Florence. Did you check engine light on? 
You got a starter going bad? I had a starter go bad on my Tahoe yesterday. Uh, do you need ring and pinion work done? I'm telling you, that's what they really specialize in. It's going to be your differentials, your ring and pinions, your axles, all that stuff. But, of course, they can do everything except work on diesel engines. But they can work on your ring and pinion and your uh, all that good stuff on your diesel. So check them out today. That's A1 Gear and Auto, 49 South in Florence. Big white building with a huge A1 gear sign on the front of it. You can't miss it. Tell Justin, and hey, thank y'all to everybody that's been going over there and telling Justin that you heard it on WYAB. Uh, we really appreciate that. He's over the moon about his sponsorship here, and we're over the moon that uh, you guys are supporting him. And there are some Clay Edwards Show bumper stickers over there, too, if you want one. And they don't have to be on your bumper. They can be on your huggy, your cooler, your your coffee cup, wherever you want them. All right. In studio with me this morning, we got Drew Hassan with the Recovery Lab podcast, uh, local uh, Jacksonian. Jacksonian, and uh, we're just discussing addiction and the, all the bad things that come with it. And we're going to work our way to recovery. But in the first hour, we kind of finished with talking about how Drew became an addict, and it was from Adderall to meth. And then we kind of went down a rabbit hole about how Adderall is such a gateway drug to meth. And we, we, we again, we could do a whole nother show about doctors prescribing medicine with no eject button. And again, they've gotten better about about um, pain pills, but it's created. There's like I think Mike out here, our, our in-house libertarian, calls it the iron law of prohibition. And it's wherever you, whenever you eliminate something and try to prohibit it, it just something worse comes out of it. What's well, the law of unintended consequences? Yeah, that's what I refer to it as the law yeah. of unintended consequences. I knew when they when they when Trump came in and they they changed all this stuff on the opioids. That more people were just going to start doing heroin, but I, I didn't anticipate fentanyl, but just use that as a catch-all here. It created the fentanyl crisis. Look, I, I have a, I have kind of a mixed opinion about this. Like, I saw a lot of people that only abused Dilaudid, and I'm not saying that it's impossible to overdose and die from Dilaudid. I'm just saying I didn't see anybody do that. Or didn't hear of anybody doing it. But as you decrease the delauded availability, I mean, it's not like people are going to be like, you know what? I guess God's telling me to get sober because no, they're going to go get heroin that has fentanyl in it and then they're going to be dead. Yep, exactly. Addicts don't work that way. I always said, man, if you could just walk in and get a five milligram Norco like you could a Tylenol, that we wouldn't have none of this problem with the painkiller abuse. But I'm probably very wrong on that. But I just like, you know, the harder you make something to get, the more people want it. it you know, it's like if it's easily accessible, uh, it changes the opinion on it. I'm curious as to what, how the medical marijuana and, and eventually recreational or adult use marijuana is going to work around here. Is that going to curve the cool factor? I mean, you know, when I say cool factor, I'm referring to like teenagers or younger people thinking they're cool because they're smoking weed for the first time. Does it eliminate that from it? I guess probably not because it hadn't eliminated the alcohol, and they still do that because they're not supposed to and whatnot. But the the medical marijuana thing is going to be interesting to watch, especially for people who are in recovery and stuff. They're putting a real predicament there for anxiety or pain, aren't they? Because you can either get on a pill for it or you can get on potentially medical marijuana for it. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over five, six years. Well, I mean, I know for me, uh, you know, I loved marijuana 
and I smoked a mountain of it and I like everything about it. And I recognize that I will not be able to use medicinal marijuana. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I usually say to people, I abused my privilege and you know, I'm a pretty hardliner about using my mood altering substances, yeah. you know, because I am by using the medicinal marijuana going to increase the likelihood that I do something that's real it, bad. It eliminates the inhibition, you know, it kind of knocks like, like, cause once I've done this, well then well, I might as well do this. I, mean, I tell people all the time. Well, that's the slow attrition of recovery in general when yeah. people go to relapse. You know, you, you kind of dip your toe in it. You're like, yeah, hey, I will go to fewer AA meetings. Nothing bad happened. I talked to my sponsor less. Nothing bad happened. Uh, uh, you know, I took NyQuil and nothing bad happened. Uh, I mean, I don't know that NyQuil is verboten, but sure. I mean, you know, you, you kind of dip your toe in it. You know, Drew gets his Pinot Noir and he drinks a little bit and realizes there are no direct consequences. And then, boom, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to meet somebody you didn't anticipate meeting that's got a pocket full of something. And then, boom, you're, it's off to the races. No, no doubt about it. And look, for full transparency, I was, a, I, I was and am a full supporter of the medical marijuana industry coming to Mississippi, vote, voted for it and fought for it heavily on this program. And so I, I could probably sound like a hypocrite to some people because I'm up here talking about recovery and hosting a show about recovery while I was pro marijuana, but I can be both. <laughs> I think it's probably, uh, I, I endorse it. I think it's yeah. a great thing. I just recognize that personally I can't use it. No, I, th- I think that's the best way to look at it. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, it's going to be great for some people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if it can stop people from taking the pain pills. If you got to trade trade something, uh, that is a in Clay's eyes a forgivable. Look, if you have to pick between trade. if you have to pick between Xanax and marijuana, people should go with marijuana ten out of ten times. Yeah, you know, the, here's the other one. Uh, what are they called? SSRIs, right? Like Those Zoloft and Zola. That, I've watched that with a front row seat to destroy destroy lives. I can't believe well, they still prescribe in, that. There's an interesting book. So I've spoken on my podcast often about this guy's book. His name is Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. And he wrote a book called Chasing the Scream. And it's about addiction. And the general underlying... Is that the guy you called the most interesting man in the world? Uh, White guy with dreadlocks? Oh, no. That's Jaron Lanier. Okay. Okay. Uh, we can come back to him, though, the, the father of uh, virtual reality. Okay. So uh, Johan Hari wrote a book called Chasing the Scream, and the general argument is that, like Portugal did, uh, we should decriminalize all drugs, quote, from cannabis to crack, and uh, that it has you know a positive impact on society at large. Uh, crime goes down. Overdose deaths go down. I don't know that I'm all the way there. Uh, but is an interesting book, Chasing the Screen. He wrote another book that I can't think of the name of off the top of my head. I'm about halfway through, and it is about the dangers of SSRIs. Now, look, I am not a doctor. I, nobody needs to listen to this and think that Drew Hassan endorses or doesn't endorse whatever your doctor tells you. I mean, I did not go to med school, uh, but it's an interesting book sure. about how this idea that by affecting the way serotonin so SSRI is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and he just kind of attacks the science behind why people think 
those are a good idea. But if your doctor gave you Zoloft, for the love of God, don't stop taking it because I'm talking yeah. about this. But do your research. Do Yeah, yeah. read the book. It's interesting. No, it, it is. And Mike Madison, uh, as I was saying, our in-house libertarian, this is something that he's taught, uh, talked about at nauseum and did some research. And <clears throat> uh, this is obviously public information here. I want to say 100% of, of the people who have done mass shootings and school shootings over the last 25, 30 years were all on some type of SSRI. Well, I mean, uh, so it, we have to be careful with making those kinds of – in the law. So if you go to law school, you're going to learn about the logical fallacy of post hoc, ergo propter hoc, after it, therefore because of it. I'm sure that all those school shooters also drank water, but I don't know that water caused them to be school shooters. I mean, yeah. there's a handsome amount of people that take Zoloft and it works fine for them that don't become school shooters. But I think those guys were probably crazy anyway in some other level. And it kind of becomes the straw that stirs the drink a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they may not, they may have needed their brain chemistry tinkered with in a different way. Yeah. That makes sense. It is, it's interesting to hear from your law, your law side of stuff, and because uh, in, in another life you were a, a lawyer, right? And uh, that's interesting. We, we, we could do a bunch of shows about a bunch of different stuff at some point down the road. All right, let's get the train back on the tracks here a little bit. <clears throat> I want to hear your story. Okay. So where where was rock bottom for you? Rock bottom was uh, standing outside the gas station at the corner of. Uh, Bailey and Atkins, there's a McDonald's right there. You're lucky you didn't get shot. I am lucky I didn't get shot. And hanging out with people that were, you know, holding up those signs. And look, when they have signs that say they're in the military, they're not. I promise they're not. Uh, And thinking to myself, you have a law degree and you're standing outside a gas station because, one, you don't have anywhere to go. Two, you don't have any money. Uh, no car, no job, penniless, hopeless, and thinking, what have you allowed your life to become? That would be. That was it. Yeah. So let's talk about, was that the, that was the aha moment? Was Where, where did you cross into getting help and recovery? Well, look, it came by, um, so. And how far apart from them, from rock bottom to right, that day that I'm talking about would have been, it was real hot outside. And cause I was grateful. Somebody gave, it was me and uh, two guys and this girl. I mean, I don't even know who they are, you know, but we were all kind of homeless and wandering around and staying in shady motels and trying to panhandle enough money for a night in the Hojo. Yeah. Uh, so somebody heard Hojo in a long time. Yeah. Somebody gave us some bottled water and I was pretty fired up about it. So it was hot in the end of 2016. And then, so, uh, who would eventually become my wife? We had met at a treatment center. Uh, we kind of hooked back up together and, you know, we're making bad choices together and we're holed up in a hotel, uh, in December in 2016. There's a knock on the door and it's this long lost aunt of hers, not really an aunt, but you know how you do in Mississippi, you know. My mama's best friend. My mama's two best friends are my aunts. Right. Yeah. So she says, "Look, I'm gonna take y'all to get some help." And you know, I, we were both strung out, and I was like, "I don't. If you got something to eat, I'm I'm down with it." But 
Anyway, we ended up going to Vicksburg to a place called Beautiful Deliverance. And if your listeners want to know somewhere where they could look up on Facebook and then bless Beautiful Deliverance, they are certainly worthy of your charity. Uh, And this lady acts as a funnel to faith-based treatment centers. Now, I did not even know that faith-based treatment centers were a thing. I'd certainly never heard of Teen Challenge, never heard of Jacob's Well, and there's a thousand other ones. Uh, but it, it, she took us there, and they got both of us, uh, my wife, Kimberly, into a place called Home of Grace. It's in Mobile, and got me into a place called Mission of Hope in outside of Mobile. I didn't end up going to Mission of Hope for immaterial, but I went to a place called the city of refuge in Loosedale. Uh, and it changed both of our lives. How long were you there? I was there for six months. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's where you really begin to see some, some distance between the addiction, the active addiction and the recovery is, you know, the first 30 days are great, but these little 30 day, I'm not knocking it. If it worked for you, great. But I'm just seeing it through some personal experience. These 30 day treatment facilities are just kind of a bandaid over a bullet wound. I mean, it's like you really need to get somewhere and get some long term. You're still crazy after 30 days. Yeah. I mean, it it takes 28 days to form or break a habit or something along those lines. 30 days, you still got the taste for it. Oh, yeah. You're just avoiding triggers at 30 days. You know, just like as long as I don't go around here, if I don't do this. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. God bless everybody at the 30-day mark. I'm proud of you. Uh, 31 days is tomorrow, so on and so forth. You can't get to 100 days unless you get to 30 days. Amen. Hey, you can't get to 100 days unless you get to day one. So I'm, I'm blessed everybody out there that, that's, that's doing it. But to really get somewhere and be able to get some long-term recovery seems to be the key and the faith-based side of it. You know, getting Look, God I had, back in your life. Well, I had tried. I have been to treatment eight times. Uh, seven of them were to, uh, 12 step treatment centers. Mm -hmm. And I mean that they're, they're not bad. They're not ineffectual. It just took my going to a faith-based treatment center where I could see what it looked like to be around people that had real sincere faith. Yeah. Uh, and that was of enormous benefit to me. All right, look, I love where we're going with this conversation. I, I want to hear more about the the faith-based recovery stuff. We've had several people on the show. We've had um, Matthew Milliman with Teen Challenge or right. Mercy House. And uh, I've been a big fan of this, and I, I helped with the Celebrate Recovery being launched at my church, bowed out of it. But <clears throat> I'm a big fan of it, big supporter of it. I've seen it help people. I want to talk about that when we get back. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We're live in the Mack Hike of Flowood studio on 103.9 WYAB. In rules when necessary. Welcome back in to the Clay Edwards Show. This segment is going to be brought to you by our good friends out at Boondocks Firearms Training Academy. Look, man, they have changed things up out there. You can now get a monthly membership to go out there and shoot as much as you want. Uh, the standard individual membership starts at $25. And check this out. Only thirty-five a month for the family, and that's anybody that lives in the house with you. I mean, so it ain't capped at like two people or three people. If they live in that house with you, and they're uh, you can come out for thirty-five a month and shoot all you want. They got the next level up. The trainers 
uh, membership package. And I'm going to tell you what, man, this is a lot of bang for the buck. It's only $40 a month for an individual, 50 for a family. And look, here's what you get with that. You get a voucher to take a free, uh, one of their free shooting courses or training courses throughout the year. It's only a $15 guest fee for somebody who doesn't live in the house with you. You get a pro shop discount of 10%. Uh, and look, here's where, here's where you really, really save some money. If you order guns online, you're familiar with a farm transfer fee, unlimited at $0. They'll do it for you for free if you are a have the trainer membership. You can't beat that, my friends. Even if you don't ever go out there and do nothing else, if you buy more than one gun or one thing, uh, one uh, more than one gun a year online, you're not going to have to pay the uh, firearm transfer fee. That's boondocksfta.com. And uh, located right out there on Highway 18 in Raymond, that's Boondocks Firearms Training Academy. All right, I'm joined in the studio by Nick Hassan. Uh, we're going all in on addiction and recovery. And we left off at you getting into a long-term tr- uh, faith-based treatment facility. And I'll kind of let you pick it up there. You were six months in? Six months in. Uh and then I, I left uh, the city of refuge and moved into uh, an Oxford house. Uh, if people don't know what Oxford house is, it's a sober living system. They have a couple thousand uh, sober living houses. I think they're international. It's like a halfway house sort of. Of sorts, yeah. yeah. Y- you are required to pay, uh, they call it EES, uh, equal expenses shared. Uh, you have to go to 12-step meetings or celebrate recovery. You have to have a job. There's minimal oversight. Um, I cannot say enough good things about beautiful, beautiful deliverance, home of grace, the city of refuge and Oxford house. Uh, they are all fantastic components in, in society at large, but certainly in my own recovery story. So I lived in, in Oxford house and it provided a framework for me to grow and, uh, reintegrate back into society. Yeah, one of the we had uh, Eddie Buchanan on. He would, he has successfully made it through Mercy House uh, program, and he, you know he talked about for the first time in his life. And I, Eddie, I apologize for constantly bringing you up on the show, but you know he talked about getting learning just a daily routines and a schedule and discipline. And just said he couldn't have done that without going to, he went to Mercy House, but something similar. You know, it was just learning how Teen to Teen Challenge it. is almost exactly like the City of Refuge. Yeah. It's the like, same same program, uh, it, you know, all geared towards uh, growing your faith and belief and giving you a job to do that furthers the ministry. Was learning just how to, how to have a routine every day, how to get up and know that, you're going to do something satisfying. Even if it's hard work, you're going to feel good about it at the end of the day. Um, I talk to people a lot, like let's use, for example, um, a, a housewife that wakes up every day and she may sip on some wine all day and she doesn't really have to wake up. You know, it's like you, you, you lose a grip on societal norms when you don't have a routine. Absolutely. You know, and I, I just can't preach that enough. I watched it and I just get you a routine, get out and get a job, even if you don't need the money. You know, find something to do. Don't uh, go take take your time. Donate your time. 
do community work, help help the folks, just get it. Have get purpose. Have purpose, man. That's the word I'm looking for over here in my deep wealth of uh, vocabulary knowledge. Purpose. Have a purpose-driven life, and uh, you'll feel better about it. You won't be trying to fill that void with drugs or alcohol or just boredom. You know. Well, it's fulfilling. I yeah. mean, it, it gives, you know, purpose is the best word for it. Yep. So, so you made it through there. You got out of Oxford House, and was that kind of where the story ends as far as well? The, the yeah, for, for in, in any kind of uh, structural system. So, I, the Oxford House I started off in was in Hattiesburg, and then uh, I uh, heard of this job at a law firm here in, in Madison, and I came up here and interviewed for it, and I ended up transferring to an Oxford House in Jackson, and I stayed there until. Uh, moved out to go move in with who would be my wife. So how long were you in your recovery? How long have you been clean, sober? A little over five years. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I I think I really cleaned and sobered up in 2011, kind of fell back off the wagon there around 2015, 16, when I stumbled back into the nightclub business for about three months and kind of picked up, knocked the dust off, and got back into sober living. Don't get me wrong, I still enjoy my beer, and that's another conversation, I guess. But as far as the drugs and the abusive stuff, it was that was the end of it. And uh, you know, we tell people all the time, just because you could be at you could be at day one thousand, day thirty, day one hundred, whatever in your in your recovery, if you have a bad night, you fall off the wagon. Just let it be one bad night. You know, it doesn't have to be. A week, a month, a two week, a never ending. Right. And that rubs right up against this, you know, kind of all or nothing thing that drug addicts tend, you know, their, their belief system. Yeah. Uh, and, and this depletion of hope. Well, I've already done this. I might as well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. You know, just let, let it just be one bad day. It doesn't have to be a consecutive run of bad days. Right. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had about a two or three month run, bad run, you know, but a guy that was, what was I doing? You know, and here I am now. Like I guess we're almost at eight years now. Golly, well, wouldn't it be great if people could sober up without having to experience those consequences? Yeah, but you know, it takes what it takes, and sometimes it takes criminal justice intervention. Sometimes it takes you know a family intervention. Has anybody ever learned from anybody else's mistakes when it comes to? Oh, uh, look, that? Th- that is the joy of. So I had an old friend in recovery. He passed away from cancer a few years ago. And he used to talk about how one of the blessings that he had was he could, he had been sober long enough to where he could adjust his behavior based on consequences somebody else. And look, that that takes some practice. That takes some legitimate uh, you know, effort to get to where you're willing to look at somebody else and see, I'm... I'm going to mess up exactly like they did. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, I want to talk about empathy and and stuff. Let's take a break real quick. We'll come back. And this is going to be one of my flaws. I'm going to kind of bear all a little bit when we come back. And I want to get your opinion about it. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We'll be right back on 103.9 WYAB. Breaking rules when necessary. Welcome back into the Clay Edwards Show. This segment is going to be brought to you by Ellis Autoplex, Rankin County's hometown dealership located right there at 2195 Highway 471 in Brandon. That is right down there next to Booze Barbecue. Y'all notice I must like barbecue. I always talk about these sponsors being located next to barbecue restaurants. 
That's not, those. I don't believe in coincidences, my friends. Uh, get you some good barbecue while you're out shopping for guns or cars. <laughs> All right, hey, look, man, are you looking for a late model quality pre-owned vehicle? Well, look no further. Ellis Autoplex, man. We just got a shipment of pre-owned trucks in. Get them cleared through the shop, detailed. And ready to sell. Got a couple new F-150s I think you guys are really going to like. Got an FX4 with the Lariat package, white with the gunmetal gray rims. It's the one. It's the one that everybody always wants. It's the hottest seller. Check it out online, ellisautoplex.com. And, of course, we buy vehicles, too. So, look, don't deal with the Craigslist crazies or the marketplace maniacs or having to meet people to sell your vehicle and just all that crazy stuff that comes along with it. Come bring it to us, and we will pay you fair market value for it. You will be surprised at uh, how much money dealerships will pay for cars now. So give us a chance at Ellis Autoplex. Shop us online, ellisautoplex.com. All right, I'm joined in studio here in the Mack Hike of Flowood Studios with Mr. Hassan. And we are talking about Drew. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. Drew, Drew Hassan. And we're talking about addiction and recovery. And if you guys follow me or you follow my Save Jackson page, one of the things I'm regularly guilty of is um posting video- videos and pictures of, of addicts doing dumb stuff in Jackson. I uh, posted one last night of one dancing at a car wash on High Street. And I, I openly know this. I pray about it. I lack empathy for, for people who are in the throes of addiction and don't want help, or at least don't outwardly want help. The second somebody... Uh, decides they won't help, I'm all in. That's why I do have a conversations like this. But I have a problem with the empathy. And, or Am I alone on this? Or do you, when you see somebody that's just absolutely at their rock bottom like that, what, what, what do you do? Well, I mean, this is, you know, this is a universal problem. I mean, <clears throat> so as Shakespeare says, Betrayal is the unkindest cut of all. And there is a there's a, a level of betrayal by people who are in an active addiction. They lie. They steal. They you know, say they're going to do one thing and don't. Uh, they lack integrity. And those things to every normal person are off-putting. It is a betrayal of sorts. You know, and it's it's easy to fall into that trap where you, where you lack compassion. And I mean, I I can see this from, from both sides. I mean, I look back now, I've been sober long enough to think my poor parents, I mean, really, you know, I abused their kindness and their generosity and their love. And, you know, look, make no doubt about it. They must love me because they put up with a lot of shenanigans. Uh, Touche, my friend. And, I just try to, you know, this is, it's difficult for being in recovery when you have friends that are making what you know are poor decisions and you're like, you know, I'm just going to love you anyway and give you the freedom to make those bad decisions because there's somebody out there who thinks that the decisions I'm making are probably not good. Yeah. And now only kind of to talk about unintended consequences, some of the videos and pictures I have posted of people, uh, in the throes of their addiction on the save Jackson page is actually led to those people's families, finding them and getting them the help they needed. I've, I've had more than one reach out to me and as mad as they were at me, they thanked me later. 
you know, now obviously that was not when I was doing it, my intentions weren't pure as I'm going to help somebody find their family member, but I was all, I was grateful that it had a happy ending. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're, if you're riding around Jackson looking for people clucking at the car wash, I mean, you know, gonna be hard. <laughs> you're not going to have to look very far. I mean, but I think if, if growing your empathy in your, sympathetic feelings about it, you know, try to take some solace from the fact that those people are in a mental health crisis. Yeah. I mean, they are, nobody chooses to be physically addicted to something. All right. Let me, let, let me ask you the controversial question then. Okay. It is addiction a disease. Look, I, I plainly don't care. Yeah. I know that you go to any 12 step meeting and, uh, Susie will, you know, wax philosophic about the freedom she felt when she finally understood that it was. I don't care. Yeah. I don't think it matters. I, mean, I think we. I think it was a way to get insurance companies to pay for recovery. Is why they harp about it being. I a mean, disease. scientists and doctors call it a disease. Yeah. That's fine. I re, it it does not. At the end of the day, it does not impact my life because you know look i have i have teased this out in my own mind is it an addiction is addiction a disease on one hand or is it a collection of poor behavior patterns and at the end of the day it does not matter i know this i know that when i do drugs i don't stop doing them and i do bad things if if I do that because I have a disease, okay. If I do that because of a learned set of bad behaviors, then I do that. I mean, I, I think this is a, a fight about nothing. Yeah. And it's not even nothing I wanted to really get into with it. I just, I thought about it there when you, when you were talking about the mental health crisis. And it's not, honestly, that's not even a question I've asked on these airwaves. But I, I do find it interesting and kind of what led people to decide it was a disease versus a collection of bad decisions. And people would be like, well, isn't AIDS a disease? You know, and that comes from sex or smoking, uh, cancer's a disease. And that comes from smoking. I'm like, yeah, but it was, it's still a collection, typically a collection of bad decisions that led to getting the disease. Smoking ain't a disease. Sex ain't a disease. Alcohol ain't a disease. It can cause a disease or a drug abuse or Whatever. I mean, I think some of this is probably born out of science's lack of understanding about what exactly happens in the brain. I mean, I know that in on some level, all addiction stems from the the manipulation of dopamine and serotonin and things that cause uh, an, uh, an, an overabundance Force of happy. those. <laughs> you know, you you you, be, you don't become addicted to things that don't feel good. I mean, nobody's addicted to hitting their hand with a hammer, you know. It, but if there's some pain pills on the other end of that well, yeah, trip to that's the ER, you know, I've watched people do it. Yeah, that's true. That does happen. You know, unrelated. But, I mean, still, it's just amazing what people will do when they when they get into it. It's like if I can hit this wall, if I can break my hand just enough that it doesn't, that it doesn't really break and I can get some pain pills. I mean, I've watched, they, you know, talk about it. You will force pain on you. Oh, it happens all the time. To get pain pills for for pain you didn't have. You know, it's like just because I like the joy of the of the Lorset or the Norco or the opioid. I like the way it makes me feel. So I will actually create real pain so I can feel that. Well, that. It, you know, the majority of people that are strung out out there on opiates are not doing the opiates because it feels so good. They're doing the opiates so they don't withdraw. Yeah. And believe me, uh, I mean, the first time I was ever dope sick, I thought 
this is the this is the worst flu I've ever had. You know what? And then they're trading that for Suboxone, and it just goes to a, from one addiction to another. Suboxone is a, another sticky point. I mean, look back to the disease thing. So yeah. This is not a hill I want to die on. If if people want to call it a disease, fine. You want to call it a learned set of poor behaviors, fine. I, I just. I don't know what the big controversy is about this. No, I, I got you. I, I, I like your stance on it. I had been more hardcore on the it's a collection of bad decisions. But as I've kind of opened up my thinking a little bit and whatnot, I just I'm with you. I don't know that I care. Call it whatever you want. If if, if you can get some help for it. Yeah. By calling it a disease and call it a disease. If you can get some help for it by calling it a collection of bad decisions, whatever leads to you getting reconciling it in your mind and getting some help, or if you're the parent of a child that's an that's an addict, if you need to tell yourself it's a disease to feel better about it, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do, yeah. yeah, I think that's the most <laughs> that's the biggest change I've made in a long time on something is just learning not to care what right. somebody else thinks about it. So, I um, let's see here, man. You got anything you want to close with? Look, if I can stand for any one proposition, it's just don't give up. If you're out there struggling with addiction, don't give up. Keep trying. Keep trying everything. Go to a 12-step treatment center. Go to a faith-based treatment center. Go to Celebrate Recovery. Just don't give up. And if you have a family member that's engaged in shenanigans, number one, don't give them any money. Uh, you know, Don't enable them. And, yes, you know, you know who you are. You're doing it. You're enabling them. You know, you bought them five cars, you know, you know, you keep doing this, that, and the other, uh, don't enable and, uh, just pray for them and support them. Yeah. In and other I, ways, not giving the money. Yeah. Yeah. Just be there. Uh, a couple texts here on the guns and gear text line. I want to thank you guys for, uh, giving us a little breathing room today and kind of letting us talk this stuff out. I want to pr- thank Mike for calling in earlier and giving his, uh, testimony there. Uh, let's see, this is from Dustin. He goes, I took myself off. Zoloft, Paxil, and Lexapro and SSR, SSRs years ago. No side effects and feel fine. Wife thinks I need Zoloft, but I'm good. Let's see. I'm just kind of running through these in live time here. Uh, that can Rick, be dangerous. It, it can. I don't proofread, unfortunately. Uh, Rick says, how many school shootings happen pre-SSRI? Hey, you know what? That is a great question, and I'm sure there's some there's some information about that out there i i know mike did a whole show about this one time i'll tap into his wealth of knowledge there uh roger says so so wanting extra funds from the state the extra police the democratic run town that was all about defunding the police now wants more money to do part of the show on this tomorrow oh yeah yeah yeah. roger thank you for that i'll get on that tomorrow tell you what let's take a break here we'll come back we'll land the plane with a little extra runway this morning and Talk about Dustin's podcast and anything that we missed on my notes here. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We'll be right back on 103.9 WYAB. Breaking rules when necessary. Welcome back in to the Clay Edwards Show. We're live here in the Mack Hike of Flowood Studios. Uh, I want to just thank all of our sponsors, man. You guys appreciate y'all allowing us to have these kind of conversations on here. And uh, try to normalize recovery and stuff. So, man, if you, all these sponsors, whether you heard their names mentioned today or not, please support them, whether it's on this show or not. Anything you hear on this station, get out and support these folks. These are you. These are your neighbors. These are small business owners. We don't get a penny of taxpayer money like our competition does. This is all small businesses. So whether you agree with us or not, 
get out and support these businesses because they create jobs in your communities. All right, Drew, <clears throat> tell people how they can find your podcast. So I, I post them to uh, YouTube. I just made a pretty simple uh, no frills YouTube channel. And it's on, and I've got a Facebook page for it. Yeah, just Recovery Lab. Recovery Lab. You can find it mostly off of my Facebook page, Drew Hassan. H a s s i n. That's it. Yeah, easy to find. I I think I shared it on my Facebook this morning. I'll, I'll get all of it shared to the Save Jackson page. I'll link it in the podcast here. And uh, look, man, I think it's we had a great conversation today. I really enjoyed it. You opened my eyes on some things. Uh, we'll have to come over to the house, do the long form. I'm down with it. And uh, maybe uh, maybe. In, uh, Put insert a third person but one thing i really like about your podcast is and we talked about this the other day is you're you're getting past just addicts giving their testimonials and you're trying to get into the medical side of it and the you know talk to a psychiatrist and and, and whatnot yeah I, I want to offer up all of that i've yeah. reached out to people who have lost loved ones to addiction uh i have not had one of them on yet because I, I mean, I know that's probably painful to talk about, but I want to have uh, healthcare providers on. I mean, because I want to ask, I really want a physician, a psychiatrist, so that I can really grill them on where does addiction come from? Is it some architectural uh, deformity in your brain? Are you predisposed yeah. to, to being an addict? You know, I, there are questions I have. I'm a 100% environment. Yeah, I'm a generally curious person, so it it's good for me. No, no, I, th- I think you're doing great stuff. So if people, uh, one thing I've noticed about doing this show is you got a lot of people who are battling addiction or that are in recovery or they want to give their testimonies, they want to get help. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, look, my cell phone number is 601-297-3422. Text me. Uh, my, my email address is recoverylabllc. I haven't made the LLC yet, but I'm getting there. Recoverylabllc at gmail.com. And look, if you can't remember any of that, y'all know how to get in touch with me. I will get you in touch with Drew. Drew, again, thank you for getting up and riding out here to our little Freedom of Speech outpost in Florida, Mississippi. Man, I, I thoroughly appreciate and, the uh, invitation. I've enjoyed this. And it really makes some, – some of the stuff makes me think. This is kind of my road to empathy and trying to be more sympathetic and trying to figure out how I can help people earlier in their addiction and what I, what I can do to be a better person. We can always grow. I mean, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, look, Mike Madison – is up next. Looking forward to what all Mike's got to say. Followed by Dana, then Jameson Haygood, and the main event, four to six, Mr. Kim Wade, Radio Strongman. Hey, don't forget, man, we also podcast Kim Wade Show. Just go search Kim Wade Show, and this will be available here on all major podcasting platforms, clayedwardshow.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow at 7 a.m. as the Clay Edwards Show discusses all that is going on in and around the city of Jackson. This concludes our broadcast day. Right here on 103.9 WYAB.